This is Oklahoma football. All right, welcome back, everybody. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Mainline Podcast. It is Masters Championship Week, the best week in all sports, in my opinion. We'll touch on that here in just a little bit, but we've got the full gang here tonight, Corbin, Adam. Guys, what's going on? A lot happening in the sports world right now. What's uh, How's the week been going so far? Yeah, uh, Corbin and I were discussing this before the pod. A lot going on in OU sports, but it feels like not very much of that is football-related. Uh, but still a lot of interesting stuff to talk about, which is uh, still pretty cool. Yeah, it'll be basically a non-football pod for the first time and I don't know how long. So I'm excited to hop into things. For sure. Well, let's let's just dive right into it. A lot of stuff going on around here in Norman. A lot of the spring sports, they're, they're fully active. Uh, the seasons are fully underway. So Adam, just kind of kicking it off with you. The, the OU baseball team, Skip Johnson, uh, they kind of started off the year. Uh, pretty tough and kind of found their groove, um, kind of found their uh, found their stride a little bit, playing a little bit better ball. But, man, the last uh, last couple of weeks has been pretty tough for the Sooners. Yeah, even though the Sooners won last night against Oral Roberts, I think they gave up eight runs in the first inning, uh, 10 by the end of the second, and somehow pulled it off uh, after after uh, nine innings. But not not a lot of fun baseball to watch necessarily. I mean, I guess you could say you like the offense and the scoring, but just absolutely nothing on the mound for the Sooners right now and just very inconsistent all around. Uh, And to rub salt in the wound, our old friend Pete Hughes up at Kansas State taking the upset of the series at at number five, Texas Tech. So um, not looking good for OU baseball right now. Go across the street over to Marita Hines Field. A little bit different story, kind of what we've been accustomed to seeing over the last Honestly, probably the last 25 years. Patty Gasso's got it rolling. Um, kind of some uh, interesting developments, some stuff that came out today. So what's going on with softball? Yeah, uh, grass is greener on the other side of the street, as always. Uh, and so we had supposed to have Wichita State at home tonight. That is postponed due to weather. I don't know if you guys can speak on the weather there, but it looks somewhat uh, reasonable out. So a little confused about why that was postponed. Maybe I read that wrong. Uh, but, uh, but that's not happening as well as the Baylor series this weekend is postponed. It sounds like the bears had an outbreak, uh, of COVID and they can't uh, put a team on the field due to big 12 COVID protocols. I was actually kind of looking forward to that series. Uh, Baylor is 20 and eight on the year tied second right now in the big 12 at three and oh, which isn't saying a whole lot, but it did open up a, a couple weeks of at Baylor, Texas at home, and then at Georgia for a midweek doubleheader. And Georgia is a pretty solid ranked team out of the SEC. So would have been fun to see uh, the OU softball team put to the test a little bit here. Uh, but it looks like we're going to have to wait on that. But they did throw out a tweet uh, this afternoon, you know, looking for a team to play this weekend. So who knows across the country if someone else is dealing with the same thing and maybe we can find a good matchup for the weekend. Yeah, as good as this softball team has been, like I said, haven't lost a game all year. Patty Gasso's team's undefeated. The best part – Whenever the schedule kind of got released, it was like, okay, when's, when's the Texas series? When's Baylor? When's Oklahoma State? Because if there are going to be some teams that can push this team, maybe not quite to the level of competition that we'll see up at the Women's College World Series, but definitely a uh, a, good, a good team that can kind of gauge where this OU softball team is uh, here in the uh, mid, midway point of the season. But uh, uh, much how it is with softball, men's and women's gymnastics, I mean, same song, different verse. I mean, that – uh, women's gymnastics kind of starting with them. KJ Kindler squad. Um, they took home their, they, they took home the Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa regional title this past weekend, making that 11 straight for KJ Kindler. They too, much like we'll get to talk about the, the men's squad. 
uh, they're going to be competing next weekend for a chance to win another national championship. And just like with Mark Williams' squad, they won another conference championship this past weekend, ninth straight for Mark Williams' crew. They're going to be competing in the NCAA championships qualifying session next Friday. If they're one of the top two teams in that session, they're going to be advancing to the next night on Saturday where they will have another chance to compete for another national championship. So uh, just another dominating year for Jim U, and hopefully both those programs can close out the year strong and uh, bring a couple more national championships back to Norman. And like we talked about, you know, guys, one of the things that we were kind of struggling with when talking about trying to find content, especially during the football offseason, we, there's been a ton of content this week, especially for the men's basketball program, where uh, Joe, Castiglione, Joe Castiglione made the hire uh, earlier this week, the 15th men's basketball head coach in the program's history, uh, Porter Moser. Got to get that pronunciation right. It's Moser. Uh, be, like I said, becoming OU's 15th head coach, 52-year-old out of Loyola, Chicago. Um, so, Adam, kind of starting with you. I mean, did, uh, did Joe C. knock this out of the park, or what were your expectations, or I guess – what was your reaction whenever you saw the news break? Yeah, I'm the type of personality where I like to see where the wind blows and how everybody else is reacting and then react the opposite and be more of a skeptic of, of what everyone's saying. And knowing the OU fan base, we are, and, and to some level, myself included, very uneducated about basketball and very uneducated about college basketball from a national perspective. So it was interesting to see where everyone got super excited about him and all of a sudden had these very informed takes about how he was an up and comer and how he was this great fit. And I, I just looked at it from a very skeptical perspective, not to be a hater or anything, but just to say, Hey, like, is this, is this true? Like, should we be validated in our excitement? And he's not an up and comer. He's in his fifties. Um, but I think he is going to be a good fit. And the more I've gotten to see his personality and get to know him a little bit through, um, you know, different social media and the, uh, press conference and things like that. I love his excitement. Um, so I think he can take us potentially to a next level, but I would still say there's, there's certainly some question marks. Yeah, I was, uh, I was kind of unsure. Um, you know, when, when Lon retired, I texted, uh, my old high school basketball coach asking who he'd recommend to fill the role, um, for some context there. That's, uh, Teddy Owens, his dad's Ted Owens, a longtime coach at KU, pretty historic, um, you know, name in the basketball family. And his first response was, was Mosher. Uh, so, you know, we got, you know, a, a guy who I think was the first pick on a lot of people's boards. I just didn't think he was going to leave Loyola for Norman, to be honest. And so I'm really surprised this came to light. Um, I'm curious to see, if he is, and I think I mentioned on last week's pod, is, is he a coach that was perfect for Loyola and perfect for that system, a small school um, turned into a, you know, a basketball school? Can he replicate that success at a big-time football school? Um, so time is going to tell on that. But I do think, I, you know, and Adam, I agree with you. I think listening to his press conference today, the dude just oozes energy. And I think there will be a lot of life in that program He's going to have his work cut out for him with the you know roster that we currently have set in Norman with the amount of guys that have transferred and, and moved on. Hopefully he can bring a couple of those guys back. Um, and then, you know, the transfer portal is alive and well in college basketball right now. So there should be plenty of talent out there to bring to Norman and have some of those guys com compete and play immediately. So, yeah, time's going to tell if this is going to work, but I think it'll probably take two, three years to really see exactly what we, you know, um, how this hire is going to play out. 
as great as Lon's run was here, Norman, whenever the news broke that he was retiring, my immediate thought when thinking about who's the next coach going to be here at OU was, you know, I want somebody that's going to, you know, be, be energetic, maybe get some young blood into the program, kind of get to crank up the recruiting a little bit. Obviously, the we were kind of hearing some things about maybe it was going to be Kellen Sampson uh, all the way down at uh, at Houston. But when you just by listening to you know uh, you know Moser's press conference earlier today, he's not lacking energy whatsoever. Being fifty two years old, so I think that he's a really good personality. He's going to be a good fit for this program. He's a great recruiter. Obviously, he talked about how he's kind of already hitting the ground running, reaching out to recruits current OU signees, but I think that with his personality, his ability to connect with people, especially parents, um, I think that that's going to bode well for OU recruiting. And like we said, he's he's uh, he's kind of had a little bit of an up and down coaching career, but you know, over the past four to five years, I mean, he's, he's got the accolades behind him. I mean, three Missouri Valley Conference titles. He won six NCAA tournament games, two Sweet 16s, and ultimately, you know, a Final Four appearance back during that famous run in 2018. And you know, there's obviously he's like you said, Corbin, he's got his work cut out for him. Uh, he's got to fill the roster back up. He's got to kind of implement his system, get get the caliber of guys that he wants to coach and play basketball for him. He's got to get them down here to Norman. And we've already seen him kind of put his footprint on the the coaching staff. I mean, he hired two guys this past Monday, KT Turner, uh, the associate head coach out of Texas down there, a uh, guy that was, you know, rubbing shoulders with Shaka Smart, kind of helping lead that program and ultimately going back up to Big Ten country uh, in Emmanuel Dildy, the Northwestern assistant coach. So already making uh, some strides with the coaching staff. And, Adam, one question that I guess well, I kind of want to make this kind of an open topic discussion. Looking at what this coach is going to be bringing to the table, comparing that to what we saw with Lawn over the past five to ten years, do you want to, what, what kind of changes, whether it's from the caliber of basketball player or a stylistic change in terms of the way that the team plays the game. Do you want to see any changes uh, from OU basketball, the way they play the game moving forward? You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know all the different strategies and and ways the basketball game can be played. Um, But I do know that, you know, in his time at Loyola, he at least had, for most of his time there, he had uh, Crutwig. And so he had some solid presence in the middle. And that's something that, was probably a major complaint for me and probably a lot of other fans was that lawn really had great guards, but you know, around the basket, we were a little lacking on big men. So I'm hopeful that he can really take that, but beyond just the basketball court, you know, lawn was a a good energetic guy that was willing to do whatever it took and, and people liked him. But I think Porter Moser is going to bring a little bit different type of energy, uh, which I, in turn think will get more fans to the game, more students to the game. If there's one sport in college that a coach can make that type of impact, I think it's college basketball. Um, think of how many, you know, uh, names are synonymous with their programs like a Tom is or a coach K or, uh, or Roy Williams even. So I think that can have a major impact just on the overall fan support. Yeah. It'll be interesting to kind of see, how this plays out. Um, I hope OU fans don't jump to the gun in the first season or two, because I think we all know that's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle to start. Um, But Adam, I do agree with you in the sense that I would like to see a um, a bigger athlete on the floor. um, As far as who we're recruiting, you look at, you know, the national championship winner in Baylor, obviously on Monday night, um, 
those dudes are just humongous. Not only their post guys, but their guards, they're just big. And you could honestly sharpie that as the exact reason why they controlled Gonzaga from start to finish is because they were just bigger, bigger, more athletic. And they did exactly what they wanted to do to a team that was undefeated on the year heading into that night. So um, I would love to see us get some more size, not only, you know, in the, the front court, but also the back court as good as I thought Damian Harmon was and Austin Reeves was. I mean, those guys just they're not they're not the bulky, you know, go get your own basket, you know, in the in the lane type of guy. So um, and I think, you know, looking specifically at Austin Reeves last year, a little more bulk probably could have helped him a lot down the stretch um, once he get into Big 12 play. So. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I don't know if the program is going to excel. I don't know if it's going to take a step back. This is still the toughest conference in basketball, in my opinion, from top to bottom. Um, that is going to be massively different as far as what um, Coach Mosier is used to playing at Loyola, where he's, you know, probably a favorite game in, game out within that conference. So, so we'll see. I, I really don't have a good feel for where the program is headed at the moment, but hopefully, you know, in the next six, 12 months, we'll have a pretty good idea of, of his style. And if it's, we're going to be able to succeed here in the, you know, big 12 conference and beyond and then still play tournament. What are the odds that you think uh, a Devion Harmon or Brady Manick would consider coming back at this point? I think Harmon is probably at a zero, to be honest. I think he's kind of made up his mind and it is going to move on. I don't know. I don't know. He's not going to get drafted. Um, so I think it would, it would benefit him if he came back to college basketball in some way, shape or form. But I know as mentioned on some other message boards, a lot of his tweet late, tweets lately are scattered throughout Texas. So, you know, he's not Norman taking classes, which is a pretty good sign of how to read that situation. Um, and then Brady Manick, I think there's probably a pretty good, um, I think there's probably a pretty good opportunity for him to come back. And, and a guy like Brady, maybe he just needs a, a new scenery within the program um, to kind of take a, a next step, a final year, you know, in Norman to, um, you know, grow on, on his legacy. And as much as, you know, we've been, I think everybody's been frustrated with him. Um, you know, he's one of the best players, I think, in OU history, top 20, probably, at least he has in, as far as stats are concerned. Um, so, so I think, you know, maybe that would be a, a breath of fresh air for Brady Manick to come under a new coaching staff and, uh, you know, watching the way Loyola played, Brady probably fits in that system pretty well. Um, so I'd be curious to kind of see if he, you know, takes a second glance of that. I think the Brady's return is going to be predicated upon what Moser can do in the transfer portal. If he's truly able to bring in, you know, a, a traditional five, you know, a, a big man, because we all know that Brady, especially on the defensive end, he's been playing out of position. You know, he's been asked to, you know, be that, be that guy down there in the paint, protecting the rim. So if, if uh, Moser is able to, you know, get into the, uh, into the transfer portal, bring in somebody kind of move Brady back out to the wing where he is, you know, more well suited to play the game of basketball. I think that could be good. And then, guys, when I, when you look at Devion Harmon and Corbin, to kind of throw this back to you, it, it's ch- chances are pretty low, pretty slim. You know, maybe even at zero, he's probably not going to be a draft pick this year. Not not going to happen whatsoever. So, if lo- looking at a guy like Harmon, it, is there any appeal to coming back to Oklahoma? Reeves is gone. Manick's gone. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, with Elijah Harkless. Is it, there's got to be some appeal for him to come back to where he can be the guy. You know, he could go out and score 20, 25 points a night, you know, raise his stock up uh, and do a, do some good that I think another year of basketball in college would do for him, kind of elevate his draft stock. Because as of right now, I don't, I, I don't see any immediate future in the NBA for this kid. 
He, not saying that, not saying that he's not talented. I think that he has a ton of potential. I just think it would it he needs another year at least to kind of grow into his body and develop uh, all of his skills as a basketball player. So I don't know Damon well enough to know, but I think that comes down to more of a, a personality question than a basketball player question. Um, because there are some guys who have no problem coming into the unknown and seeing uh, having a, a positive mentality for a situation like this, where there's plenty of opportunity for him to come in and be the guy next year heading into next season. But he could also go and develop overseas and make a good amount of money doing it. You know, I don't know if Damon's ever going to be um, in the NBA, to be honest. I, you just, I think that's impossible to say at the moment. But he could go make a killing overseas. The dude could put the ball in the basket. Um, and maybe he's just ready to start providing for himself and ready to start providing for his family. And regardless of how good of an opportunity this could be for him, you know, he's ready to move on in that stage of his life. So I think that's more of a, a personal uh personality, a mental state outside of basketball is probably going to be the decision maker um, for Harmon. And he's the only one that's going to be able to answer that. For me, Harmon is probably a bigger head scratcher than Trey Norwood going into the draft a year early. And that's because Trey Norwood, he's probably going to go undrafted, but he might hit the tail end of, you know, sixth, seventh round type of guys, you know, something might happen there. It's kind of crazy. Harmon, for me, is a for sure undrafted uh, free agent at best. I mean, maybe he'll make a G League team. But I don't know. It's just odd because coming to OU, he was thought of, you know, maybe if things go great in his freshman year, he could be a one-and-done guy. I'm sure he was listening to that hype and thought that's what he should have been. His freshman year didn't play out that way, so he came back for a second year and played better, but still not at the level to to get drafted. Um, And so I'm sure, you know, he grew up in – in this part of the country, you know, he's very much an NBA guy. He wants to play in the NBA. I don't know who's in his ear that's telling him that he's going to get drafted or, or what, but go, guys that go overseas almost never come back, uh, unless you're talking about maybe a Patrick Beverly example. But uh, I mean, I know it's not his dream to play overseas. So I don't know what he's thinking there. I, I would hope at least for his sake, maybe he transfers to a different college and, and ups his stock and maybe has a chance at the NBA. Well, there's definitely some appeal to playing overseas. I mean, if, if you're not fortunate enough to be able to make it in the NBA, there's a lot of really good opportunities over in Europe and in other parts of the world where you can play basketball and, you know, make, make, you know, good six figure salary to play in the game that you love. But guys, um, what we, we've been obviously paying attention to the social media content that OE's been pumping out. It's been, you know, it's been pretty nonstop the last two to three days. I mean, it's just it's just one thing after another. And one of the things that we were talking about in the group chat was the video of, of Coach coming down the tunnel and kind of walking into the LNC for the first time. You know, the, the big lights, the empty arena. What do you guys think was a bigger, I mean, pardon my French, what was a bigger, you know, what the fuck moment? The His internal reaction to seeing the LNC for the first time or the culture shock that it had to be when he landed in Norman, Oklahoma and saw the new town he was going to be living in com- <laughs> compared to what he was coming from uh, being a resident of Chicago, Illinois. It's interesting. Um, you know, I actually live just a, a few minutes away from Loyola's campus. So I'm pretty familiar with that area. I uh, lived there for, for a summer and um, it's not like super nice. It's just, you know, big city type of living, but uh, Norman's certainly different, uh, you know, change of pace there. And, it's funny because in the press conference on the, on the videos where he's talking about how excited he is to be at OU, that's a totally different excitement 
than the reactions that we saw from him when he's walking into the arena and he kind of looks around and goes, Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I know he's been in the LNC before he was an assistant at, um, well, I guess maybe not cause he was at, he was at Texas A&M back in the early nineties, uh, which would have been before big 12 days. So I don't know if he's actually ever played a game in the LNC, but, um, I mean, he has to look around and go, what type of cold war bunker is this? Well, that, I think that's a perfect transition into our next topic uh, is, you know, we, we touched on it a little bit last week, but now we can kind of, you know, fully dive into it. And that is the Lloyd Noble Center, the famous LNC. There's been so many, so many hot takes, so many different, uh, you know, you know, different opinions, keep it, move it, bulldoze it. Um, so Corbin, kind of starting with you, now that we have a new face of this OU men's basketball program, there's got to be some changes to this arena, whether that's building a new one, making some renovations. What, 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 what about the LNC? Would you change? Would you bulldoze it? Would you move? Obviously, that's not going to be something that's going to happen prior to the 2021-2022 season. So what renovations need to be made at the Lloyd Noble Center? What renovations don't need to be made at the Lloyd Noble Center? It's probably um, the worst or it's the least fan-friendly venue that I've been to. Other than Te- other than the old Waco Stadium for Baylor, Texas's basketball arena is really bad. But obviously, that's going to change in the next couple of years. Um, that was, and I've been to, I've been to every Big Twelve arena besides Baylor. I've been to them all, so I have firsthand experience of kind of where everything ranks. Not only from an atmosphere perspective, but like a facility perspective. Um, right. Most of the the schools have nice facilities. Um, very similar to OU where the arena may be lacking, but like the facilities behind the scenes are really strong. And OU has great facilities on the basketball front. The Blake Griffin Family Center, whatever the official name for that is, is phenomenal. Um, what they've done with some of the tunnels, the underground work, it's great. Um, but guys, the, the number one thing that Mosher had to be thinking when walking in the LNC is like, how is it so hard to get all the chairs the same freaking color? Because uh, that's what I thought every single time I walked in the LNC for like four straight years is like, why is it this difficult to match reds? Um, But beyond that, I think we're past the days of hoping for a brand new arena at a different location. I just don't see it. It's possible that they tear down the LNC and rebuild something. Maybe the team goes up and plays in Chesapeake. Um, Well, I think it's still called Chesapeake. That's going to change in the near future. Um, But I think... Keeping the LNC and building a new arena, I think, is off the table at this point. I think they shot their shot at the University of North Park. Uh, I don't think anything like that's going to come back on the radar. Um, so I think the opportunity there is to to downsize the LNC, whether that is just a renovation or completely demolishing it and starting over. You got to make that probably an eight to nine thousand seat arena. That's probably where it needs to be max. Um, and yeah, you just. There's no room to move. Everybody's got to work their way from the very bottom of the floor to the top of the concourse to do anything. It's all stairs. And so anybody that's over the age of 50 or 60, they're going to sit up top so they don't have to walk all the way down to the floor every single time they need to, you know, go to the bathroom. They've got to walk all the way back up. There's just, it is, it's just, it's just an awful arena. It's just an awful arena. And um, I don't think it needs to be demolished, but I do think there are, there are some ways to really enhance the fan experience and honestly, just start with new chairs and maybe some escalators and we're, we're, we're heading in the right direction. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's rough guys. 
Well, Adam, to throw this to you, like you said, Corbin, there's no bathrooms. There's no concessions in the lower level. There's no lower level entrance that, uh, that that OU uses as far as, you know, prior to the game letting fans in. So you've always – Adam, we know it better than anybody standing at that damn sales table every night two hours prior to the game is, you know, where's the bathroom? How do I get down to the bottom? You know, this this is a maze. We're lost. So what changes would you made, uh, would you make with the LNC? Or is it beyond repair? I tend to think it's beyond repair. There's so much that needs to be done there that the cost of renovating that facility would – be around in the ballpark of, I think, creating, you know, just a new arena somewhere else. And so I think the LNC is, is fine. I think it will eventually still need some minor upgrades, but you know, maybe it's worth keeping around for things like graduation and gymnastics and the occasional time that you need a really big arena for a huge basketball game or something like that. Um, but I think more, what you need to do is focus on getting a newer arena and you look around the conference, Texas is getting one by next year. Texas Tech already has one. TCU has one. Um, I may be wrong, Corbin, correct me, but is Iowa State's uh, Hilton Coliseum a little bit on the newer side? Or it's just no, that's, that that's pretty historic. Okay, um, okay. I haven't seen – that's probably the one I haven't seen more of the facilities of them all. Um, yeah. it's, it's a pretty old venue, though. Yeah, and Gallagher-Iba is about 20 years old with the renovation that they did, but it feels much newer than the LNC, like considerably newer. So just from a conference pure perspective, we're way behind what everyone else is. So I think that there, there needs to be a new venue built, essentially. And so I did some research. I did some measuring on Google Maps. And following the model of what Oklahoma State did with Gallagher-Iba, where they basically built a new arena around the historic original Gallagher-Iba, I think I think that can be done with McCasland. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I measured it on Google Maps. There's absolutely room. There's a parking lot there to expand. It would. I don't know how people would feel about doing such big alterations to that type of building. Well, you kill two birds with one stone. One, you're the you're basketball arena is no longer only accessible through highway nine number two if you renovate mccaslin Fieldhouse, that takes away the argument that students have had as being the reason why you know we don't attend the games is it's too far away i i think that there is something there there definitely is room to do that i'm honestly i don't know why that the women's basketball team doesn't play at mccaslin right now i know that they used to uh, a while ago but uh i mean that that place holds what right now you could probably fit like three four. 4,000 fans in there right now, do a little bit of renovations, um, add, a, add a couple elevators, make it a little bit more easily accessible to get up and down. Uh, but there's definitely some room there that I think if you could upgrade that, put another you know three 4,000 seats in there, I think that could be a pretty good home atmosphere. And it's closer to Campus Corner. So there is entertainment aspects nearby and readily available. Yeah, I um, it's, it's going to be just as hard to get to for anybody outside of the students. I mean, getting to the heart of the campus is, is difficult. Um, you could make an argument in that case that the LNC might be easier to get to than the Casland. Um, think of it like on a, on a big game day. I mean, those streets are going to be packed. I mean, it's just it's it's a hassle regardless of where you put it. But I, I thought of that a lot as well. I think McCaslin would be perfect. I think what you potentially could do is you, you bump it out to the north and then you extend it to the east where that big field is. So right now the the court and all, all the courts are going north to south. You shift it, 
and it goes east to west and you elongate McCasland. Um, that's yeah. how I would do it. Now, you're going to have to figure out, it, it may be just as expensive to renovate McCasland with how old that thing is as it would the LNC. Um, but Which I location's be better though? Finsley, yeah. yeah. I would uh, argue it's it's all about perception though, because people will in their minds go, Oh yeah, main campus is closer to Oklahoma City, therefore it's better, even though it might be the same distance wise. And also you look at the central part of campus, there's more arteries and different routes to take into that area versus the LNC, basically everybody was on Highway yeah. Nine. So I don't know, it might come out about the same, but the perception might be a little bit better. Yeah. It, I, and I think as far as entertainment and things like that, it's, it's a no brainer. You want it, you want it in McCasland uh, with campus corner being within walking distance, but guys, I've been thinking that for years. We, we, back when I was a manager, we played one game a year, I think in McCasland, I think it was a preseason game. Um, and it's, it's louder. It's on top of you. It kind of has that, that Gallagher Iba feel. And that's exactly why they did that to Gallagher Iba because they wanted the fans on top of the, the court. I mean, that when you walk into Gallagher Iba, expect a bit of a workout because you're going on a pretty steep incline to go find your seat. And it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, now the, the camera angles on TV are terrible, but you know, anything outside of that is, is great. And you can do that with McCasland. And I've honestly never really understood why it's so, so historic. And I've been an OU fan my entire life. I walk in and it's like, great memories happened here a long time ago. Like, update it like let's go you know like there's a huge opportunity there to do exactly what oklahoma state did have the big basketball arena right next to the football stadium you could even connect them in some ways if you really wanted to i i think that is a, a no-brainer in, in how things should move forward but it's never going to happen the last basketball season to take place in mccaslin was 1974 which means if you were a student that has seen a game in there you are at least in your mid-60s by now uh so i mean some olds are going to be upset about it um but <laughs> let's be honest like that was so long ago we can build it around it we can still kind of keep some of that look and, and history and tradition there um but i think it needs something like that needs to happen uh and there's certainly some cost issues there but it needs to happen let me ask you guys this and this may not be a an answerable question the, the way that i'm going to phrase it but really the, the, the problem with the LNC, it's been around for five, ten years. I mean, how much how much emphasis or how much do you really think OU administration cares or how much of a priority do you think that this truly is to renovate and make the necessary change, changes to make it a, I guess, basically just to improve the overall fan experience? I mean, I, I go to the games because I'm, an, I'm a diehard OU fan. I love, the, love and want to support the team, but there's no part of me that's going up there because it has anything to do with the arena or the entertainment value that's going to be going along with it. And really that's one of the things that not necessarily just the product on the court from the Oklahoma city thunder, but it doesn't matter to me how, if the, if the team wins one games or if they're 82 and oh, it's a fun time going to a thunder game. There's so much stuff going on around it, not just the game itself. So OU has got to figure out a way Outside of what's going on in the 40 minutes of basketball, there's got to be some added value from an entertainment standpoint to, to get the fans out. Because, guys, we talked about it last week. I mean, we have a very reactionary fan base, and that's going to be one of the things that kind of tr was was troubling for Lawn. Tried and tried and did everything that he could. Porter Moser, obviously, he's got he's got a you know tall task ahead of him. But the the, the attendance is going to be something that I really don't know how you go about improving upon making it a more consistent, not necessarily a sellout, but 
prevent it from, you know, you walk in for OU versus, you know, southeastern Oklahoma and there's 1,500 fans in the arena. So there's got to be some added value to kind of make it a better product for fans to want to go and attend those games. Yeah, you got to win. I mean, that's the only way to get fans out. Um, I, I've never really bought into the whole Thunder basketball versus OU basketball argument. I, I think you're comparing apples to oranges. Uh, they're both fruits, and that's about the only thing they've got in common. Uh, you look at the different budgets. You look at the different locations, the arenas, the fact that the Thunder's budget only goes to the Thunder. You know, you just you cannot compare those two. Um, and, man, you know, there, there, was, there was a window there that OU basketball had a, a chance to kind of bring everybody back and they missed it. Um, you know, right after Buddy's year, they get went to the Final Four, tons of momentum around the program. I think that's around the time that the Thunder were starting to decline a little bit and maybe not seeing quite as many of the full crowds in, in the playoffs. I remember, um, you know, watching Thunder games on TV. The arenas weren't quite as full. The whole everybody's wearing the T-shirt, you can start to see that change in the playoffs so the Thunder were starting to lose some steam, in my opinion, watching it as just a casual fan. Um, and OU basketball could have taken advantage of that situation. I, I think they missed it. Um, Adam, Adam, when did Durant leave? July 4th of what year? 2016. And I, I, I'm going to have to majorly disagree with Corbin on this one because uh, I don't believe that winning is a strategy to filling seats. I've, as someone, I, I worked in minor league baseball where no one that walks through those gates could tell you what the team's record was. No one could tell you two days later who won the game that they just went to. And that's all because of the experience and the entertainment value provided there. It's not a, it's not a perfect transition, but there are a lot of things that you can do to make the experience more fun uh, and better overall uh, win or lose. Now you can, put the team in the best position to win. You can try to hire the best coach, give them the best facilities to recruit, so on and so forth, but you can't guarantee wins. Um, and I don't think that the administration lacks care for, you know, how the, you know, experience is or, you know, how many fans show up or anything like that. I think really it's lack of funds. Um, I mean, if we're looking at what Houston did, Houston renovated their arena, uh, 8,000 seat renovation. Very similar to what we're looking to do. $60 million. I mean, where's that money going to come from? Well, I can tell you where it came from in Houston. Uh, that's a pretty easy answer. So, and that's the Fertitas. Yeah. Oh, you don't have the Fertitas to lean on to go build a new arena. Exactly. So, but I, I would disagree in a sense, like we've, we've seen OU basketball fans. I don't think the arena would necessarily matter as much. If the team's winning, they come. And it doesn't matter if it's a weeknight or a weekend game or who it's against. When, when, the buddies junior and senior year when they were good, the arena was full. And so I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that argument that like winning can't cure all. Cause like we've seen it. Um, and you know, when they're not good and even if they're playing a good team, fans aren't there. So I think, I think it is first and foremost, the product on the court that is going to drive fans just because that's what we've seen over the past 10, 15, 20 years. But on the flip side of that, look at football. I mean, yes, we're a traditionally winning program. In 2017, Baker Mayfield, you know, we're going to the playoffs. We're really pumped up and excited as a fan base. Senior night, West Virginia. And, I mean, we struggled to, to get fans in the seats for the, you know, that last game yeah. of the year. So, I mean, there's certainly burnout. It's not a, it's not a strategy that's going to 
just solve all problems for all time, eventually there's going to be burnout on that. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, that was a Black Friday game day after Thanksgiving. So I can kind of give it a little bit of a pass on that. I know that it is OU football, so it's a little bit of of a different argument. But when looking at other sports, particularly, I mean, OU men's basketball, that's the topic of discussion. I mean, attendance is predicated upon it, it. A huge portion or a huge reason why I think attendance is predicated upon the overall success of the team. I mean, the the, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, it, I, I'm going to go out and I'm going to watch a, a top 10 team more. And I guess, hold on, let me back this up. Got a million things going on in my mind. The argument that I was making with the Oklahoma City Thunder being a better product than the Oklahoma Sooners is strictly because of the fan experience and the entertainment portion of it. So, if it like just like what we were talking about, if if you don't have a good product on the court, which we're kind of looks like we're not going to for the first year or two, so it's going to be a rebuild. You got to have something on going on outside of the game of basketball itself to get people in, because at this point right now, the basketball team is. I mean, from an I, I don't know if taking a back seat is is the the right way to phrase it, but you got to come up with different ways to get to put asses in seats because. I mean, unless your team's good, OU hasn't figured out a way to be able to do that lately. Yeah, but Tyler, we both worked in the marketing department. Like, I thought we came up with some pretty good ideas over those couple of years that we were in there. Some ideas that should have drawn fans. Yeah. And it didn't. Success on the court did. And and Adam, I would I would say if OU football had the schedule that OU basketball does – in the conference and in, in like Big 12 basketball is the SEC football. There's there's the correlation there. If you give OU football an SEC schedule, that stadium's full every single every single Saturday. Um, so I think it already is. Yeah, you know, quote quote unquote. Um, you know, so I think I think that matters. There's there's a ton there's a ton of things here that are just you know we can go back and forth on. I see I see all your points, um, but yeah, I think. Yeah, to me, it all it all comes down to the 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 what your the product you're putting on the court, and I agree with Tyler. I don't, I, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be there for the next year or two. Um, but knowing that like, we worked in that marketing department, we, you know, I thought really put out some some great ideas, some great things to bring out students. I mean, we offered to. We offered the bus system, you know, free for the students just to literally hop on a bus from their dorms to get to the LNC, and like they weren't yep. using. So, I mean, yeah, you you could offer everything free that you wanted to, including free tickets. And that thing is not going to be filled if the team's not good. So um, that's kind of like where I'll I'll hang my hat on that one. But but yeah, I I think, man, if OU had a better um, conference structure as far as who we're bringing into Norman every single year, I think that would drastically change, um, you know, how the tickets are sold and, you know, how full the stadium actually is on Saturdays. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the the winning and the marketing, I think definitely both pieces need to be there. Um, but I, I, it's just tough with the resources that they have and the money that's coming in. And, you know, we don't have a Tillman Fertitta that's going to drop $60 million to help us get a new arena. Um, and I think, honestly, like the path forward is we need to sell naming rights for a new arena. And even that's not going to be enough money because uh, you look at what Texas Tech's uh, arena is. The they're uh, you know after a local supermarket, they only got ten million dollars for that. That's a far cry from the sixty million needed to you know target area for a renovation. So it's going to be tough. There was a plan in place, University of North Park, brand new well, arena. Not the only one that was in place. 
and and I've heard some stories of the past years of there were some big, big, big money donors that could probably single-handedly fund a stadium, if not get close. And they were told no multiple times by the university. Why that was the case, I can only speculate. Um, but working in the basketball department and overhearing some things and being told some things, there are stories there that the university has said no. Again, I don't know why. I don't know if it's a, it could have been potentially a, a leverage thing. They didn't want the donors to have that much say in that type of project. That's very possible. Um, but there have been more than one opportunity. It's not just University North Park that was shut down for various reasons that this new arena or a renovation of arena could have happened and it just hasn't. Well, and that goes back to my original question. If, if you know, either renovating or providing a brand new arena was a huge priority for OU administration, then it sounds to me like there's been plenty of opportunities to, to turn that into a reality. So I know that there's a lot that has to go on behind the scenes to ultimately get something like that done. But, you know, money's money's the number one thing. And if, if there were options there, um, then they, they should have took them. Uh, I think that the fan base would echo that. So, guys, anything else on the LNC? I mean, I'm in agreement there. Last thing I would say is maybe it's a bad look to do anything with basketball before softball and baseball are completed. Those are smaller projects, but still have a little bit of ways to go there. Softball, yes, but also look at the fact, too, men's basketball could bring in a lot more money with a with a quote-unquote better – not just better product, but a better venue uh, to showcase all that. So, um, you know, one thing I've always been confused about the LNC, something we haven't discussed yet. Um, premium seating, none, none. Courtside, that's courtside it. seats. That's it. But you, you, I mean, the LNC, the 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 plans they had uh, for University North Park was there was going to be loge boxes and club seating, and that was really going to handle a lot of that. I'll be honest, guys, people are going to be a whole lot more likely to show up to the event when they invest that type of money in those seats as well, um, whether they're going to use them or they're going to pass them on to somebody else, um, that that would help a lot. Not only as far as taking up space that you would rather just use for general seating, make it bigger, make it more luxurious, get the money that comes with it. And most likely the people who are spending that type of money are going to be more likely to show up to the games, either themselves or friends or family or whatever the case is. You got to spend money to make money. And if you're not going to put money into renovating and upgrading that place to, to me, I mean, the, the, the season ticket prices are way too high as it is. So if you're going to charge that amount of money and, you know, we'll, we'll ask the fan base to pay that there better be some pretty good accommodations that come with those dollars and not just a, uh, a uh, light orange colored seat um, that I have to walk down, you know, 10 flights of stairs to get to. And if I want to go to the bathroom, I have to walk all the way back up there. So there's got to be some, there's got to be some incentives. There's got to be some good amenities that fans could take advantage of when they come out to watch a basketball game. But guys, I think, uh, let's, uh, let's kind of dive in here. Um, uh, kind of the, the bulk of this discussion. I think that was fantastic, but it is master's week. In my opinion, it's the best week in all of sports. And it's kind of fun too. Cause it, it you, you get through with March madness, go straight into the Masters Golf Tournament up there in Augusta, Georgia. So, guys, I could go on and on talking about how much I love this event, but does when you look at the Masters Tournament, obviously I know you guys kind of dip your toe playing golf a little bit. I mean, does are you excited when this week comes around every year, or is this really just kind of a, another weekend? Maybe I'll tune in um, on Saturday or on Sunday afternoon. I guess for me it gives me something to watch this time of year. I Sometimes I find it very interesting, and I think it's – probably the most beautiful thing you can watch on TV. That course is just gorgeous. 
Um, I'm not the biggest golf guy. Um, so I, it really all depends on how it plays out. You know, if there's a golfer that I'm really interested in and he's, and he's doing well, I'll get pretty pumped for it. Yeah. If anybody listens to the, uh, the sooner scoop podcast, um, every time I start talking about basketball, Josh McQuistion just kind of steps aside and let the other guys take this topic. That's going to be me for about the next, you know, 10, 20 minutes, however long we discuss here, guys, I, I don't care about golf. I think the masters is great. It is on my bucket list to go to just say I've been, but I don't give two flying F's about any of this. So I'm really excited, uh, to, to throw out picks and guesses and menus and all this stuff because, I have no idea. So um, if you're looking for uh, golf knowledge, uh, just go ahead and, and fast forward anytime I start talking. Like I said, it's the best week in all sports. I look forward to it every single year. Uh, this this is obviously not a golf podcast, but I, I'm a huge Tiger Woods fan. Obviously, with him being injured, not playing in the tournament, that kind of does take away. But at the end of the day, this major championship, I mean, it's, it's Augusta National. It's the most beautiful golf course on earth. The, the storylines going into it this year, I mean, Jordan Spieth's back. I mean, after that kind of four-year hiatus, he won last weekend. He's one of the favorites. Bryson, uh, Juice had take two. You know, he's going to have another shot at this year. Can he overpower this golf course? Brooks Kepka had knee surgery less than a month ago. They thought he was going to be out six to eight months. He's back out there uh, reading the putts like Spider-Man getting down there. So, DJ, can he go back-to-back? What's John Rahm? Brand new father. He hasn't played golf in the last week. He got to Augusta late last night. How's he going to perform? Uh, but there's there's so many good storylines going into this, and just the overall beauty and the pageantry of this golf course. Being able to watch it, you know, I've I've had I've had it on Golf Channel since Sunday, and and it's going to stay on that all the way till late Sunday night. But uh, no, I, I I love this I love this uh, this event. I love this golf course. Number one on the sports bucket list. And, and it's not even close. I'm 0 for 7. I filled out that damn ticket application the last seven years, and I haven't been picked yet. So uh, ho- hopefully my luck will turn going into 2022. But, guys, one of the good parts, and it's it's food-related, so you guys can touch on this. One of the best parts about the Masters Tournament, as beautiful of a, as a, of a golf course as it is and as tough as it is to get on those grounds, it's very customer friendly when it comes to the concession stand and the prices. They've been the same prices. I don't know over the last 30, 40 years, they don't change them. Looking at the menu that we guys all have a picture of in front of us. The question that's been popular going around social media this week is if you were given $20, how would you spend it all day at the master's concession stand? Corbin, start with you, man. What do you got? So I try to take a logical approach here of like, if I spread this out of like a full day, you know, how would I, how would I spend it? Um, so you can guarantee at least two beers. So there's half the budget right there. Just whoop gone. Um, then you start to get, you know, the, the, the plan around money. So you have to get a pimento cheese sandwich. You just, uh, I don't even know, uh, how I, uh, you not, but I feel like you have to at least have one and it's a dollar 50, plenty of room to play with. Uh, the classic chicken sandwich. No idea what that is, but I'm a chicken sandwich guy. I'll give it a try. Um, uh, I did throw in a cookie. So, you know, a little sweet tooth, maybe mid-afternoon. Um, so I threw that in there. A bottle of water. Let's not faint on the uh, the holy grounds that are our Augusta. So, you know, stay hydrated. Uh, and then my last two bucks went to the Georgia peach ice cream sandwich. I'm a big peach guy. I think that sounds delicious. Um, so that's how I would spend my 20. Very, very thought out and logical, guys. I will go with the opposite approach. Not too thought out at all. I'm going to start with a $2 bottle of water. And then I'm going to get 17 blueberry muffins, which uh, happens to be my favorite fruit. 
And then I'm going to buy one banana just so I can throw it in the trash in front of them because I am a banana hater. All right. All right. I'm, <laughs> if I'm ever, if I'm ever fortunate enough to go to the masters, it's going to be an all day affair. I'll be there at 6 a.m. as soon as the gates open. So with me getting there at the crack of dawn, I'm getting the dollar fifty coffee and the dollar fifty sausage biscuit. That's going to be my breakfast. That's going to last me throughout the morning. Once lunchtime goes around, after I've walked the course, I'm getting the bottle of water. <clears throat> You've got to try the egg salad. I don't know if I like egg salad, but it's a staple in Augusta, so I'm going to try that out. Maybe a Masters Club sandwich to go along with it. And to echo what you said, Corbin, I'm a huge peach ice cream guy. Love homemade peach ice cream. So the Georgia peach ice cream sandwich will be the dessert on the lunch menu uh, for Tyler. And then that's where the fun part begins. Uh, go find a spot, uh, whether it's Amen Corner, 16th Hole, get a couple beers, kind of chill out the rest of the afternoon. And then to round things out for the long walk back to the truck, uh, I'm spending my last $2 on that Georgia pecan caramel popcorn. So uh, a little sweet with the with the peach ice cream sandwich and then a little salt uh, with the popcorn. So $20, dude, that goes a long way at that golf course for sure. Yeah, so. I mean, it's, I mean, where else can you do that? Everywhere else, the prices are like triple, if not, quintuple uh what that is now so that's kind of one of the nice uh, aspects just a little more customer friendly the only thing that comes close i can think of is the falcon stadium Mercedes yeah 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 like prices really really low but they're, they're not this low um but in comparison to everywhere else in the country yeah i mean you can actually go feed a family for a reasonable price well and when i look back especially going to a, a game at at&t stadium big 12 championship down there at the cowboys stadium thinking about how much i spend there compared to what $20 would get me at Augusta national. I mean, it's, it's night and day difference and it's ridiculous that they charge as much as they do uh, down there in Dallas, but guys to put a bow on this with the masters being played, there's always got to be some competition, some gambling involved in it. So one of the things that we've done over the last four to five years is the big board, everybody picking their six players from three different tiers. So Adam, starting with you, you can start with number six or you can start with number one. Who's on your lineup? Who's part of your six that you're going to be riding with going into this weekend? Yeah, I'll start at the top. Um, I'm going with John Rom. He's going to be my pick to win. Uh, he just had a baby, which the theory here is that you have the new baby bump. Uh, we've seen it with the Thunder. Al Horford, Dennis uh, Schroeder. I think Russell Westbrook, his MVP season lined up right after he had his first child. So uh, I think that's... I, I don't, can't explain how that happens exactly, but athletes seem to get better after having a kid. So give me John Rom for that. Adam, the uh, the male part puts itself in that. No, I'm just kidding. I'll <laughs> we'll talk about this after the pod. Um, but I have a lot of I have a lot of questions there. Um, and then my my second pick, Dustin Johnson, probably my least favorite golfer. I'm tired of not picking him and watching him do well. So this is a win-win situation for me. If he does great, my team does great. If he does poorly, I'm happy too. So give me Dustin Johnson. Uh, my next year, Cameron Smith and Tony Finau, they both have played really well uh, at the Masters. So I like what both of them can do there. And then in my my third tier, Abraham Answer Got to go with a little Boomer Sooner flavor there. He's also uh, been playing incredible over the last year or so. And... Bubba Watson, probably my favorite golfer, hasn't done a whole lot over the last couple of years, but has won at the Masters twice. So it's kind of a long shot, throwing a Hail Mary, maybe he can have a bounce back. Corbin, give us all the wisdom, all the details, all the inside stuff. 
who's going to win the Masters and give me your six picks. If you're looking for reasons why I picked these guys, there, there aren't any. Um, so I just went with names that I had recognized. Uh, so top two guys are going to be Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. Um, seem like relatively safe picks. Don't ask me why. I don't know, but that's what I went with. Uh, Adam Scott, Sergio Garcia for my second group. Uh, very similar to Adam. Adam, uh, excuse me, Abraham Answer. Oh, you guy went ahead and threw him in there just for kicks. And Max Homa in my third group. Uh, Phil Mickelson, because why not? He, you know, it's Phil. He can do anything. Uh, and then Fred Couples. I'm pretty sure Fred Couples is is relatively old because I've heard that name for a long time, but I couldn't tell you what Fred looks like at all. Um, so that's my picks. Uh, I want to apologize to all of them because if my gambling record uh, serves uh, truth to anywhere, it's that it doesn't do well. Um, so sorry to my eight picks because none of you guys are going to win. Freddie is always near the top of the leaderboard until about the third round when his back gives out from, from being sold and he kind of falls away from there. But no, I'm Corbin. It's funny you say it. My, uh, my top two guys are the same with your two. So Justin Thomas is my, probably my number one pick. He's, He's slowly been kind of ascending uh, the Masters leaderboard over the past few years since he started playing in 2016. And since 2018, he's kind of found himself inside the top 20, uh, including fourth this past November whenever they played it during the COVID year. But, uh, I mean, this talk, this just talks about, you know, just JT. He's now comfortable. He knows how to play this golf course. He's ready for this major. Add to that his win at the Players a month ago. Uh, and it's a perfect recipe of confidence for him to hope maybe put the green jacket on on Sunday afternoon. Uh, but me, really my guy, if I'm not picking JT, especially after this past weekend, I'm going with Spieth. I know he's a longhorn, probably not. Yeah. Horns up for peace, Adam. There you go. Uh, but his, it's, it's not so much about the fact that he won last weekend. It's the, the overall success that he's had since he started playing this tournament. I mean, the incredible run that he had starting in 2014, going all the way up to 2018, two runner up finishes, a first, a, a third, um, and guys, this is a second shot golf course. As much goes into being talked about how you've got to putt to win at Augusta, this is a second shot golf course, and Spieth is one of the best iron players on tour. So uh, number three for me, just like you, Adam, I'm going Tony Finau, and number four, I'm going Cameron Smith. Two guys, not bombers in a sense. Tony Finau can hit it a long ways, but they're really good iron players as well. If both of those guys can make some putts, you can see them hanging around the top of the leaderboard as we dive further and further into the weekend. And then two guys in the last year, these are just kind of off the wall. You don't know what you're going to get. I'm going with Max Homa and Will Zalatoris. Zalatoris is one of the best iron players in the game of golf uh, that really nobody knows about. So if he can hit the ball well, we all know that this is going to be a firm and fast golf course, especially as the week goes on. Uh, but t- we'll see uh, We'll see if those two guys can't make some noise and hopefully, um, for from a betting perspective, at least make the cut uh, to, to kind of help me out this weekend. So, um, guys, anything else, man? I mean, it's, it's, it's here. I mean, I know that you guys are, you know, pumped up about it. Um, anything else on the masters or you want to get out of here? <laughs> I appreciate you carrying us through that golf segment, uh, Tyler. We could have, we could have dove a lot more into it, but, uh, this is not a golf podcast. Uh, although I wish it was maybe a little bit more this week, but no, we'll, uh, we'll put a bow on it and, uh, we'll see who comes out on top on Sunday afternoon. So guys, anything else before we get out of here? You know, I do want to send a, a big shout out to the, uh, American politics, the, uh, Georgia government, the sponsors that forced the MLB all-star game out of Atlanta. 
because now they're coming to Denver and uh, home run derby, I think is on my birthday. So as much as I hated the reason that they moved that event, I don't hate it as much now. <laughs> so that's all I got. Well, and, and it's kind of funny too. Colorado has stricter voting laws than Georgia does. So we'll, uh, but that's, that's as political as, as I'm going to get on this show. Um, and we'll, we'll leave it at that. Yep. Adam, you want to, Adam, you want to dip your toe in that any at all? I see you laughing. The extended podcast cut, all political takes will release uh, on Patreon. So make sure you go subscribe to it there. <laughs> along with, along with how to sex, uh, for Adam, uh, yep. you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll bring pictures that's a higher tier yeah. awesome well again let's get out of here always appreciate you guys for listening go online go, uh, give us a five-star review rate subscribe um and tell us you know tell us what you guys would like to have on the podcast moving forward whether it's a guest some different topics always looking for new creative things to talk about especially when it is here in the off season but we'll be back next week hopefully talk a little bit more ou spring football we are getting closer and closer to the spring game happening here in just a couple weeks but again for adam corbin tyler appreciate you guys for listening and we will be back next week for another episode of the mainline podcast